0: everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and let's dive in. Today we are talking about the 90th anniversary of the horror film Frankenstein. Uh, This is a very special movie. I'm a big Universal Monsters guy and when I saw earlier this year that both Dracula and Frankenstein were celebrating their anniversaries and I think Uh, Wolfman and uh, the Invisible Man are also celebrating anniversaries as well. I don't know if they're doing 90 years. They may be something else. But I figured I've got to get some episodes out on this. So if you guys will remember earlier this year, we did have our Dracula episode. Uh, which was a blast to record, a blast to watch. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen Dracula before or really any of those uh, those universal monster movies, I would highly recommend it. Those are some of my favorite films. And yeah, they're a little old in the tooth, or I guess you could say long in the tooth in regards to, um, you know, they're, these are 90 years old. So they've been around for a while. And so they're not as scary as maybe you'd think they would be. Uh, But think about them in the context of back in the day, because 90 years ago, these movies would have been frightening. And in some respects, they still are. So uh, for any of you who are interested, maybe didn't hear it, that's episode 144 of the podcast that we talked about Dracula. So now on this one, we will be diving into Frankenstein and uh, directed by James Wall, Uh, with a cast, a very small cast, but a cast of Colin Clive as Henry Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein himself. Uh, May Clark plays his wife, Elizabeth. Boris Karloff, as we all know now, is the monster at the time. uh, We did not know. And John Bowles as Victor. Edward Van Sloan as Dr. Waldman. And also uh, wanted to call out Dwight Fry as Fritz. So Fritz being um, Igor. Also, Marilyn Harris plays Little Maria. I've got a funny story I'll share when uh, I was watching some of the special features on this uh, just about her her performance. But So when I say, you know, it, it even says on the poster, the original horror show. I mean, mm-hmm. they... They amped up this movie. And I, I believe part of that is because of Dracula. So if you're if you're following these, I put both of these episodes out right around when the anniversaries were. So Dracula came out earlier the in the year in nineteen thirty one. And then they saw fit to make more monster movies. They said, let's keep going. These were some of the first. And so they made Frankenstein. And then as we know, the rest of it is history with the mummy, the invisible man, wolf man, my personal favorite creature from the black black lagoon. And not only that, but they spawned tons of sequels so in regards to frankenstein you had the son of frankenstein you had the bride of frankenstein uh i think there was the ghost of frankenstein and uh i'm gonna see if there's a couple others in here oh yeah i mean but then you've got your classics too of frankenstein meets the wolfman and one of my other personal favorites too which is abbott and costello meet frankenstein So the funny piece of it being that Boris Karloff was involved in a lot of these playing Frankenstein. And even more funny was that Bela Lugosi also played Frankenstein at one point. And I believe that was during Ghost of Frankenstein. It's a really, there's a weird sort of uh, lore. And you guys all know me here at (laughs) Comics and Cinema. I'm a big fan of lore. Uh, That's why we love the MCU. That's why we love these sweeping expansive stories. And it's funny when uh when the avengers when infinity war came out you know everyone was doing those memes around this was the uh you know oh there's never been a team up more insane than this and i believe someone shared a meme of the universal monster universe and in a way they would they were right because really universal monsters were the first to do a full-on crossover because you had boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi and Lon Chaney all in the same room together uh, playing characters, especially in Abbott and Costello. Uh, and they did it on multiple occasions. So for this one, as an example, you know, Boris Karloff plays Frankenstein. And then in the next movie, he also plays Frankenstein along with the new um, Bride of Frankenstein. And I believe in that one, Bella Lugosi plays Igor. Uh, and if he isn't in that one, he's in Son of Frankenstein. But then there's a twist at the end of that film that he actually puts his own brain into the brain of Frankenstein. So then Bela Lugosi actually played Frankenstein in one of the future films. I think it would have been Ghost of Frankenstein at that point. But just fascinating that they had these Clash, clash of the Titans, so to speak, almost like an Avengers Endgame level, uh, which back then, though, they weren't exactly thinking about them in that respect They were thinking of them in the respect that everyone judges Marvel for, which is the cash grab option, right? Back in the day... Uh, movies were still budding they were uh, in their younger stages and so whatever we can do to get more people to come to the theaters to go bigger and better than last time and to make as much money as possible so you kept having these team-ups which uh, honestly is really cool so uh, in doing so too you may notice as you watch this movie that there might be some familiar faces if you're a fan of Dracula as well so Edward Von Sloan who played Dr. Waldman uh, in this film, also plays Van Helsing in the Dracula film, as well as Dwight Fry, who plays Fritz or Igor in this film. He is also the person who plays Renfield in the Dracula movie, and in both of those movies, he does a really good job of playing a very, very uh, messed up guy, very uh, mentally unstable. You could say he just he looks very creepy. But um, like I said, this movie is uh, known as you know oh, one of the horror greats. And it's funny because 90 years later as I watch it, uh, and I would I, I believe, I hope that I have earned all of your trust throughout these episodes to say that this movie is not scary and uh there's a couple of moments maybe where it's like ooh you know that's a good shot that looks kind of spooky but in no way shape or form did i get scared at any point in time during this this movie which again is because this movie's 90 years old back in the day though this movie terrified people to the point where at the beginning of this film there was a warning uh, the guy who plays uh, the guy who plays Dr. Waldman, Edward von Sloan, comes out on stage and essentially gives a little spiel st- saying that you know, the movie you're about to see, it may shock you. Uh, and and you know, yada, yada yada, and he says, well, you've been warned, and then the movie starts which uh, again you wouldn't have seen very often back then but part of it was showmanship you know them exciting people to go to the theater in the same way that maybe a Alfred Hitchcock would but also they were kind of trying to cover their butts because some of the stuff that happens in this movie is pretty messed up when you look at it from a time and place perspective and we'll dive into that as we go so the movie opens up uh, with a funeral and uh, just an undisclosed grave, for those of you that are wondering, yes, this movie is in black and white, and also it is incredibly short, it's only an hour and ten minutes. So um, this funeral's happening, and in the distance you see Dr. Frankenstein and Fritz, and I, I keep mentioning that his name is Igor, uh, but that, that wasn't used until later on. I don't think, I'm trying to remember what they said about Mary Shelley, I don't even think they, they gave him a name in the book but if, if they did, it would have been Fritz as well. So I don't know where Igor comes from. I like Igor a little better. But Fritz is cool too. We're uh, big, big, big fans of Fritz. So the movie opens and Fritz and, Franken, <laughs> Fritz and Frankenstein are sitting by a fence, peeking over the edge, watching this funeral. And again, if you know anything about Frankenstein, you already know where this is going. Uh, the funeral ends. Everyone leaves and a gentleman starts filling up the grave. Uh, with dirt and this was a really interesting moment too they actually put a microphone inside of the coffin that was in the ground so when he's chucking dirt on top you're getting a live feed of what it sounds like from inside of a coffin for dirt to fall on top of it which again something that hadn't been done before in film around that so definitely scary a little spooky Uh, but from there once that guy leaves uh, we get the famous, the famous shot, which I think in my opinion is one of the, the biggest scenes of the film and it's surprising that it comes within like the first five minutes of the movie of them grave robbing. And we just get this gorgeous shot, I even took a screenshot or I guess just a photo of it on my phone when I was watching, of you've got like a crooked cross coming out of the ground and a shovel sticking in the edge and they're just inside the dirt picking up this coffin and it's, it's on this gorgeous set. Uh, back then you know back then obviously gorgeous but uh, just really cool that they they get this body from the ground and again if you hadn't seen anything or knew anything about Frankenstein at this point you'd be like these people are a little messed up that they're they're uh, desecrating this grave Uh, but then the next shot is that enough no that's not even enough they they take the body back and as they're walking uh, they said we need we need a brain for this body and they show a body hanging from a pole. Uh, we don't see who it is. We don't see any face. You only see about waist up. But this was the, another first sort of in film for that, that being a very shocking scene for people back in the 1930s of seeing a body just hanging there. And Fritz jumps up onto the pole and cuts the body down. It's hanging by a rope and says, you know, the body, or Frankenstein looks at it and says, well, the, his neck was snapped. Uh, when he got hung. So we can't use the brain because the brain is, is damaged. And so from there, they go to a medical college, which is where Dr. Waldman works. This is also where Frankenstein used to work. So we kind of see now that he either left his job or what we find out later, obviously what happens. But at this medical college, there was a really funny line on here. I mean, again, this movie's only an hour and 10 minutes. So it's it's very tight. And there's a lot of we need to do X to get to Y. Let's go. Let's go. And so in this scene, the whole purpose of this scene is Dr. Waldman magically talking about two different brains that are on his counter. One is an abnormal brain and one is a normal brain. And he's talking about the differences between the two. You know, notice this portion of the brain. And he says, uh, you know, and apparently the class is about to end. He says, both jars will be left here for your further inspection. Class dismissed. And I was like, what, you know, who ends their class by saying, come on up to this, the front and look at these brains. But not only that, not a single student in this class stops to look at the brains. They all leave. And so I'm sure that again is just, you know, the magic of movie making. But I giggled 90 years later saying like, well, (laughs) of course, you know, none of the students would care. But Fritz shows up, he sneaks in through a window and he goes to grab the normal brain and much like, uh, again, I well, I, not again, I'll point out here, if any of you have seen the movie Young Frankenstein, uh, it's a Mel Brooks film, that movie, I believe, is on HBO Max, I would highly recommend it if you haven't seen it It, i personally think it's better than this frankenstein movie uh just because it's it's a perfect rendition it's a perfect uh satire and spoof of this movie uh but also has some better scenes and so i like this one better in, in young frankenstein when he's looking for the at the brains but here again he's got the normal brain and a noise startles him while he's carrying it and causes him to drop the brain and it shatters, obviously ruining this normal brain. So he panics and grabs the other brain, and uh, leaves. And so again, we don't see anything more than that around that conversation. Whereas in Young Frankenstein, we get the absolutely classic line where he says, "Igor, what brain did you put in this body?" And he says, "I don't, I don't remember. Uh, Abby, Abby something. Is Abby something? Yeah, Abby Norm." You put an abnormal brain in this body. Oh, just so good. Uh, but then they get back. Uh, at this time, we kind of get a little bit of some background around Frankenstein. And this is where this movie doesn't sit very well with me. It's obviously a product of the times, but I still don't like it. So Frankenstein has left his wife to focus on experiments. And he's technically, they're not married yet. Their wedding is pretty soon, according to some people. And he doesn't care. He's he's so focused on science and focused on his experiments that he left work and he's, he's left his fiance and is living in Castle Frankenstein. And it's like, uh, wh- who does that? And again, I get it. It's part of the story, but they really made her character very one dimensional, much like they did with a lot of female characters back in the day. So that was a bummer because, again, she's just kind of pushes through and you don't really see anything more than that. But they talk with Dr. Uh, Waldman and say, "Hey, can you talk to Frankenstein?" And it's it's her and this guy named Victor who's apparently uh, Frankenstein's best man. But Victor also is kind of interested in Elizabeth as well. And so it's like, okay, are we trying to make a love triangle here or what? Uh, because none of it is well written. Like she is just the classic worry wart who can't be held up on her own. She needs a man to take care of her and uh it just was annoying in that regard and it comes up a couple of times in the movie but the doctors basically says he's like you know he left i haven't talked with him in a while Uh, he said that he had some experiments that he needed to work on and that they were uh, ahead of their time basically that he thought everyone was crazy and the victor's like you know that makes sense because when i when i talked with him i asked if i could come down to his lab and he said no one is allowed in his lab ever and I, I, he didn't say it exactly like that, but he did say the no one part. And I just thought that what a classic 1930s line of like calling your buddy up like, hey man, can I come over? No, nobody can come over. I'm not allowing any visitors and then hanging up. I was like, dude, you are stressed out trying to create life. But at this point we get, we, we're back at the castle and there's a big storm coming. And so Frankenstein is using the storm to bring his experiment to life. Uh, but at the same time, Elizabeth, Victor, and Dr. Waldman all show up at the gates and they're like, let me in, please. And he's like, no, I'm not letting you guys in. And I'm thinking to myself, your fiance is out there, buddy. She even says this line, which broke my heart. She goes, at least give us shelter because he won't let them in the castle while there is a raging thunderstorm going on. And I don't know, if if I was me, maybe this is just 21st century Alex at this point, I'd probably be having a conversation with my fiance and saying, hey, you know, I don't think things are working out. You clearly are more obsessed with your dead bodies than you are of this, this live body that's in front of you. And, uh, you know, but of course, that's not what happens. She's still completely obsessed with him. So, But he lets them in, he says, you know what, fine. You guys wanna see what's going on? I'm gonna let you see what's going on. And he explains that, he's like, Doctor, do you not remember when we talked about the different types of rays and how the greatest of them all is ultraviolet ray? He goes, well, I found something even more great. It is the great ray that creates life. That is essentially what uh, is the explanation. That is all we get on how Frankenstein's monster was brought to life. But it's funny because in the special features they were talking about that and saying in the book, uh Mary Shelley never really explains how he's brought to life either. It's left purposely ambiguous so that you could say it's really anything, was it dark magic, some sort of, you know, s- secret that we have no idea of. And so in that sense it's interesting here the assumption is with the use of all of these electrical, the electrical equipment that he's just brought to life through a jolt of electricity, which is essentially what uh, is utilized future forward in anything related to Frankenstein, which was cool. Uh, But from there, we get a very, uh, one of my favorite lines in the film, I jotted this one down, because I was like, this is actually really cool. You know, the, the, the body is about to be taken up, and you know fed to the lightning in a sense and the spectators are sitting out there the three of them it's him and fritz are by the bed and he just looks around and he says it's wild isn't it what he he points to himself he says one man crazy three very sane spectators and i just loved that line because back in the day too i could easily see frankenstein being vilified in this film and they, they make it to where maybe he isn't by the end and we'll talk about that but in a current day setting and with all the information we know about a lot of things, uh, you know, over time, I feel like humanity has learned that there's a lot more gray. And this is one of those interesting scenarios, right? Where somebody is on the precipice of a medical breakthrough or scientific breakthrough. And oftentimes throughout our real life history, those scientific breakthroughs come at very strange costs. Whether that's something like this where you're utilizing dead bodies to try and bring them back to life, or something as silly as, I'm trying to think of what it was, there was a line in oh, it was a recent movie I watched about, oh no, it was in Midnight Mass. They were talking about the differences between, there were two different um, schools, uh, and we're going to get off on a tangent, tangent on this because this is interesting. So the, the conversation was that there was a monk and this monk was in charge of a medical facility and this was like in europe a long time ago in like the 1600s or something so back when science wasn't very welcomed and it was all about religion and so he was um there was also a nunnery as well that uh was ran by i think like a head nun or something like that and they had basically the same practices but for some reason the um what was it? The 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 abbot or the 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 monks the monks nunnery whatever his medical place uh, had a very uh, low death rate comparatively to this other place. There were people dying by the by the dozens at this other place. As the you know, I don't remember the numbers, but as an example, and so they tried to do a little study on it, and they said, why is it that that's happening? And they found, or they they did like a little test run, and so they said, well, I think it's because the other person was cleaning their, like they were washing their hands. All of the nursing staff was washing their hands after every single procedure, after every single visit, where at right? the other one they weren't doing that. And so they implemented it for a little bit, they saw their numbers skyrocketed, and then the church said something about, you know, this isn't holy, this blah, 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 something completely opposite of what science would say, and the death rate skyrocketed again. And it's just, you see this time and time again when people bring up new quote unquote heretical ideas to the church or to a community that is very churchly and they don't welcome it. I mean, you can look today at vaccines. It's the exact same example. And so when you have the time to think about it, to say, well, you know, and I'm I'm not arguing for or against Frankenstein, but he's not killing anybody. He's only using dead tissue and dead, but dead uh, bodies, which again, to some that would be very shocking, but to others be no different than testing on an animal unless again you're very uncomfortable with that so he's sitting here saying you know you guys are all calling me crazy you keep everyone keeps calling him crazy for what he's trying to do but right now here you are completely sane and you are about to see me who is crazy create life and i just loved that line because for 1931, that's a very uh, forward-thinking line in a sense. And he even talks a little bit about it when he's talking with the doctor at another point where he's saying, I don't remember the exact line, but he says, you know, doesn't man want, like what does man do when they look at the stars and when they're, but they're thinking about all these other things? Like are we not allowed to to question and to wonder and to learn about all of this? And I'm going to see if I can find the uh, the line at all. Uh, yeah yeah he says he says he was like you know Frankenstein. this is dangerous and he says dangerous poor old waldman have you never wanted to do anything that was dangerous where should we be if no one tried to find out what lies beyond have you never wanted to look beyond the clouds and the stars or to know what causes the trees to bud and what changes the darkness into light but if you talk like that people call you crazy well, if I could discover just one of those things, what eternity is, for example, I wouldn't care if they did think I was crazy. And I loved that. I just It's just so, again, very forward thinking for a 1931 movie. And if I'm remembering right, too, that was a line that was kind of made up as they went. I don't think that was part of the script, uh, which was, makes it even cooler. So from there... Uh, he you know totes the body up it goes up into this into the sky of the castle we see obviously the electrical work brings it down and then we get the very famous it's alive it's alive and uh, what's more important than that though is he says and i wrote this one down too he says in the name of god now i know what it feels like to be god Incredible! What an incredible line. And this line was actually cut in multiple showings in different areas because of it referring to God and him being a God and creating life. But how brave of them to put a line like that in a 1930s movie It's just so cool. Uh, and the way he says it is just perfect. Uh, but then we get it from there. We move to back at the house. The uh, Frankenstein's father, Baron Frankenstein, is getting upset that his son is nowhere to be found and it's like yeah you know i'd be a little upset too and he says um the father he's like you know the wedding may be canceled and it's like okay in what world does the father of the the groom cancel a wedding okay that doesn't make sense but also he says there's another woman and i'm going to find her and i was like yeah you know there is another woman <laughs> frankenstein is married to science and uh, hey, you know what? At this point, he should just stick with it because uh, this poor lady, she could do better, uh, but also, you know, her character could have been serviced better, so to speak. So, from there, though, we get the first scene of, of the monster, of Boris Karloff as the monster. And so, I said it earlier, we didn't know who that was at the time. That's because at the beginning of this movie, when the credits roll, uh, his is the only role that's listed as question mark. So, it just says the monster question mark so you never know who exactly it is uh and i was told i was watching the features as well boris karloff was apparently nearby i think it was the director wall and uh he saw karloff and was like hey you would be perfect for this movie that i'm working on and the story that was shared by karloff's daughter was that he said you know i could have taken that as an insult that uh i had no idea the role he was saying i would be perfect for would be this monster he says but you know what i was i was so grateful for it and he made a really interesting comment that i've never heard anyone say because over time as as some of you may know boris karloff did a lot of monster movies whether it was this or he even you know went into he was very well known as the creepy guy. Uh, which is funny because his daughter says that you know he was very well spoken, very well educated, all of this stuff to kind of disage uh, that. But he said, you know, how how do you feel about being typecasted in these types of roles? And he said, you know, we only have a specific amount of time on this planet. And if you can get typecasted into a role, something that people immediately think of you and say, I think you would be perfect for this, or this is a role meant for you. And I'm sure you all listening can think of many people who have been typecasted in specific roles. Uh, He said that there's no greater honor than finding a purpose like that in a business where you're constantly struggling to find work. And so I loved his optimism when it came to that sort of thing because that's a struggle a lot of filmmakers have or a lot of artists have in a sense that they get pigeonholed into one thing or another and now they have to, they're always that guy. I mean, you think, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, the first thing, you know, it's like, it's not Harrison Ford, but he's like the action star. Or you think like Chris Pratt has now been very actiony Will Ferrell is always the go-to for a laughable character. And so to be able to have that, I thought was cool. Again, he was a very, uh, very cool guy. Um, but for, but the monster itself, again nineteen thirty one, I would have been pretty scared. He looks very upsetting. Uh, he's he's played off as very dumb. He can barely speak. And uh, this beautiful scene, though, at the very beginning, uh, when they kind of let him out, he's like reaching for the sun. The sunlight is coming into the castle and he's just reaching for the sun in the sky, uh, which is just it's gorgeous to behold. But again, we find out he's afraid of fire. That's very obvious. Uh, And interesting enough, too, is that the doctor, Dr. Waldman, has decided to stay and help them. So he's there, he's helping them kind of keep the monster at bay, they have him locked up in a cellar because he's gotten very violent. Again, they never talk about the abnormal brain in this movie, but it's very clear that this monster is, uh, you know, abnormal in that sense. And so while he's in there, Fritz goes in at one point, and Fritz is is a meanie, he keeps bringing a whip in there, and he's kind of whipping it around to make Frankenstein do stuff, and he can't take it anymore, and so he just kills Fritz which was wild he actually hangs fricks i don't know how he did that but they they show it it's pretty wild and so they use a tranquilizer to knock him out and that is when his wife and father show up and he's like you know oh i want to see what's going on here you know blah 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 and they're like oh we got to hide this body because they just knocked frankenstein out and so they move him into a a, like a room and hide him and at that same time though uh, they're talking with uh, waldman And he's like if you want i can i'll put the i'll put the monster down for you like clearly he is violent this was yes your experiment was a success but again they don't know it but like you put the wrong brain in sort of thing and so he says yeah that's they're like yeah he's and i liked this frankenstein was like yes i agree like just do it i'm gonna go back to living my life i essentially proved that i could do this is like jurassic park he says i proved that i could do it so i'm gonna go home but waldman uh, goes there and uh, the monster's actually awake and so then the, the monster kills waldman chokes him out and tries to escape the castle. So this is all while the group is back downtown, in this in the city, in the village, and the wedding is on. So they're planning the wedding. They're having this gorgeous wedding. Uh, apparently, the Frankenstein's are the you know the toast of the town, so to speak, uh, which was funny. I enjoyed that. It was a fun bit. But at the same time, we see that you know Frank the monster escaped. And he goes to, and this is a very famous scene, uh, also a great scene in uh, uh, Young Frankenstein, where he meets a young girl. And so this was a very strange scene and and also very, uh, very scary for that time period. Uh, A father living in the country with his daughter says that he's going to go into town to get some supplies. And he leaves his daughter alone to play with herself. And so she's just kind of picking daisies and doing all this sort of stuff. And Frankenstein's monster shows up. And uh, it's funny. I was about to say Frankenstein. That's the other key piece is everyone thinks Frankenstein is the monster. And that is not the case. The monster never is given a name. So you could technically call it whatever you want just as long as you don't call it Frankenstein because that is the scientist. Uh, which is interesting for those of you that didn't know. So the he shows up and the girl uh, plays with him and they actually have a good little time. He's like down on his knees and she's, she gives him some flowers and gives she, he gives her some flowers. It's very, very sweet and shows the, the human side of the monster, which... Uh, is not something you saw very often back then with these monster movies like dracula for example he's evil straight up there's nothing good about dracula whereas with frankenstein's monster there is a certain sympathy that you have for this character but only only just because he she then says like "Ooh, i'm going to show you how these float and so she starts throwing the flowers into this they're they're sitting right by a lake basically and she's tossing them in and he tosses a couple in and then his young abnormal brain says hmm maybe you'll float too and i wrote that down as a joke for our it fans out there that she you know looks at her and says you'll float too lifts her up throws her into the lake and she does not come up she dies and so he uh he runs away and is very scared and i you know i would be too and so i teased this at the very beginning uh, if you could even call it a tease in a 1931 film. But the actress who plays the little girl, she was on set. Apparently she was fantastic to work with. She immediately went up to Boris Karloff while he was in costume and was like, hey, do you want to like hang out? And he was like, this is awesome. So they do this scene. He throws her in, but they couldn't figure He kept He threw her in too close to the shore, and so she did end up floating up. And he- the director thought, okay we can if we can throw her in a little further, she'll go down, and we'll be fine, but we're gonna have to throw her in again and so he approached her and said, Hey, listen, we need to throw you in the water again, and i and this is crazy because you you know this would never happen today. He tells her this little girl he says, I will give you whatever you want. I don't care what the cost is." We need to throw you in one more time. Just tell me what it is that you want and I'll do it. And what did she ask for? She didn't ask for a million dollars. She didn't ask for a college fund. She didn't ask for a brand new iPad. She asked for a dozen boiled eggs because apparently uh, she was not allowed to eat that sort of stuff at home. I, I don't know. They didn't go into it in the special features, but essentially I guess she didn't have that great of a home life or something. Uh, But she just wanted 12 dozen eggs, and he said, done. And so they threw her in again. They got the scene that you see in the film, and the director, after the shoot, gave her two dozen boiled eggs, which I was just laughing so hard at. I'm like, what is she, uh, Cool Hand Luke trying to eat 50 eggs? Uh, But, you know, again, 1930s, if a director showed up and gave me 50, you know, two dozen hard-boiled eggs... I'd be like, you know, I don't know if I want to work with you again. This is kind of gross. Are you expecting me to eat all of these in one day? But I'm sure she scarfed them because I bet you she was very hungry for them. Um but from there we, we see we don't see the monster again for a while. But we're back there and we get a really interesting psychic conversation between him and his wife which is a very typical conversation of the day of the wife saying honey i'm worried about you i keep thinking about this monster i can tell i just feel it something bad is about to happen and what does he do he just gaslights her the entire time oh no i think you're going crazy you must just be tired there's a lot of things going on and what does he do then he leaves the room and this is uh this is uh, apparently i think this is after the wedding And I'm like, okay, so now you're married. This is the day of your wedding. She's in this beautiful dress. Not only are you calling her crazy, calling her a liar, but he walks out and locks her in the room by herself in her own room, locks her in. And everyone's around her maids and stuff and they're all fully supporting this. And I was just like, you would raise your hand if you would lock your brand new wife in, in the room because she expressed concerns. Concerns that end up being founded Only a few moments later, when the monster shows up outside of her window door, opens the window, and comes in and accosts her, and she ends up passing out on the bed. This entire time, they're running around the castle, where's that noise coming from, until she screams, and they go, oh, now, oh my, we gotta get back to her. And so they run back, and yeah, no, she didn't die or anything like that. She did obviously get injured, but I just it's funny too when i was watching the special features there's a guy there that was saying you know there's a lot in this film that is taken for granted that you have to just because of the time he's like for example uh, at this point in the movie the the man found his daughter and walks her back into town he's he's carrying her in his arms and just walking and everyone you know everyone's celebrating this wedding in the town but they're like what's going on and so eventually he walks all the way up to the where this guy i think his name is the the burgermeister or something and says you know i want my my daughter has been was has drowned she's been murdered and they then say like oh yeah and the doctor the doctor is dead um dr Waldman is also dead this is the let's go get the monster and you're like okay one how did you know your daughter was murdered because Frankenstein was uh, Frankenstein's monster was nowhere near the the, the scene of the crime? Two, how did you know the doctor died? Did someone go up to the castle? That's never explained. So there's just there's a bunch of things they call out as like little inconsistencies that you would you can forgive for the time period. But I like the way the guy explained that this is a scene that is really hard to forgive. Of like, there is no reason not only why you would lock her in this room, but how did the monster even know how to find this place? How to find the specific window? I mean, it's a giant castle, so. Again, not a perfect film, but you're admiring this film more so for what it did for the rest of cinema than you know some of the pieces of its content so again, you know, a mob starts, they all get very upset we've seen this before instantly this is uh it's funny and in a way really sad that we still see this even today that there uh, a mob is created almost instantly, no one in the mob asks a single question other than "Where can I kill somebody?" And they've all got their pitchforks and they all head back to Frankenstein's castle. And funny enough, Frankenstein joins the battle, joins the fight on their side. And I'm like, excuse me, did you forget to tell them you're the one who created this thing? Why are they agreeing with you? And so by the end of it, uh, Frankenstein's monster gets him and uh, takes him, knocks him out, takes him up to a windmill. And this is the famous end scene of the film where uh the he takes him up to the top of this windmill he throws him off the windmill and the um it's weird you know the little i don't know what they're even called the windmill mills the four pieces that spin around the turbines you could say are uh, he lands on top of one of them and then just slides down to the ground and it was tough but they end up getting him the mob burns down the windmill and the last scene that we see is frankenstein's monster collapsing under uh, a bunch of rubble and then he uh you know the scene ends or the movie ends where they are healing they're in their room and the father is there with them baron frankenstein and he says uh you know this there's this wine that they were drinking at the wedding that was his grandmother's wine and he's like they were like oh you know we're gonna bring this for the for the doctor maybe this will make him feel better and he says ah, i'd rather just drink it and he drinks it and then that's the end of the movie so i was like oh okay that's pretty interesting i guess uh but overall like i said this movie is a classic this is one of those films where you can really watch it anytime you don't really need to wait for the halloween season um it's short it's sweet and again if you've never seen it i would highly recommend it because i guarantee you there are multiple scenes in this movie that you've seen either in other remakes of this in you know clips clip reels of cinema whenever they do you know oh the greatest movies of all time but not only that a lot of people have used these scenes for other movies whether they're spoofing a frankenstein theme in a movie that has nothing to do about it they'll use these same pieces of people misunderstanding people being afraid of someone who's different of uh you know this creation and it's also in the van helsing movie that uh, was done around the same time as the mummy movies which here at comics and cinema we're a huge fan of that van helsing movie uh one day we'll probably talk about it but Like I said, overall, this is a great film, something that's definitely worth appreciating on its 90th anniversary. So uh, as this episode comes out, there should be a day or two before the actual anniversary is. So I'd encourage all of you to either try and find this movie or take some time to watch it because it's worth a watch uh, even for a couple of chuckles. And again, just the the fact that people thought back in the day – That this was a really scary movie and in a way it was it still kind of haunts our psyche to this day and that's where we're going to wrap things up here at comics and cinema so thank you guys so much for diving into the vault with me on this one for frankenstein's 90th anniversary i'm alex klein thanks so much for listening and we'll see you at the movies